Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, and welcome. And my guest this month is, I think, one of the greatest clowns that Britain has produced in the last 30 years. He is fearless, provocative, outrageous and very very funny he's been involved in told by media almost from the very beginning and he predates that he's worked at theatres including the rsc the national theatre and with companies such as improbable and he is the best pal a man could have uh, welcome stephen harper that's very kind paul very kind words lovely thank well, you very much you're, well you're very welcome and I'm going to jump straight in because I mentioned some of your illustrious career there, uh, including the National Theatre. And I'm remembering uh, coming to meet you for a pint at the Windmill Pub in uh, Waterloo on the cut, just down from the National Theatre studio. And on that particular day, you'd been doing the very first R&D, I seem to remember, of a show called Warhorse. And um, we met in the pub and I said to you, what have you been doing? And I, you said, oh, I'm doing this thing on a children's book about horses and mm. the war and Toby Sedgwick's there and we're playing with some boxes I don't think it'll amount to that. <laughs> I don't remember that <laughs> typical so, prescience from me yeah yes uh, exactly finger on the pulse yeah like no. a kind of West End producer no, um, I enjoyed it but it was like who was there um, the woman who was the writer from Mamma Mia was there Tom Morris and the guys who made the puppets. They're not puppets, they were just people and objects and ladders and spades and stuff. And we just kind of, Tom just got me, just threw me in and said, I'll oh, improvise some stuff. And we did, yeah, so that's where, yeah. I mean, that's where corned beef croissant, I did, uh, the story in my family about this corned beef croissant that we made one point in some Easter holidays that I, because it was too long for the tin, I turned it into a croissant shape. And I told it to the horse to calm it down. And the writer was just bewildered. She said, how have you done that? How have you made it so British and so French? And so uh, how have you, have you been preparing for this for a while? And I went, no, it's just honestly, it's just a story. She didn't believe it. She dropped out of the project. I put her off by just telling <laughs> a story. That well, just was... we, will, we, we will return to uh, the rather successful Warhorse mm-hmm. and your involvement later. But first of all, Steve, obviously we know each other very, very well. So I, I kind of feel... I know lots of stuff, but there's probably some surprises for me. Mm. But I'm going to take you back uh, to the beginning. And you're, you were born in Billingham, a, a small industrial town in the northeast? Or yeah, not? no, I moved there. I was born in Haverton Hill, which is it's an even smaller kind of port. In fact, they used to, I've got one of my first memories is like launching a ship. No, I didn't launch the ship, obviously, but the ship launched <laughs> from kind of Port Clarence, Haverton Hill, and it was like a big thing. There was some royalty there, and I just read that was like a big thing. I was about four or five, maybe couldn't trace it back. It's not really there anymore. My sister went to visit her, and she took me back to it, and it's like a field where we used to live. It's just like a field with some cows in. So it's all kind of changed, but she remembers it much better. Well, I moved when I was eight to Billingham. Yeah, so that's Billingham, which I, I, I obviously associate Billingham very strongly with you. And, and, and I visited, of course, uh, in one of our holidays from, from college. But do you have any kind of early memories of, of theatre? Did you go to a pantomime or was it any? Were you taken to the theatre? No, I didn't know. I did a bit later on when I showed an interest. But I was mostly, mostly in things in primary school. I remember there was the old woman who lived in the shoe. I was one of the kids. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Early ensemble role. And um, 
And then the big one was we did the plagues of Egypt, and I was one of the wow. Uh, yeah, we I was one of the Egyptians who had the plagues visited on us by the girls in the year above us. So they would kind oh. of come and nip us. We were just in our shorts. We've got a really strong memory of these purple shorts. And they'd come mm. and nip us or as they were locusts or they had big frogs' feet. They'd flip us and they said, I'm, I'm quite intrigued both by the, the production as you describe it, but but also the kind of going for the old testament thing. Yeah, is this no, typical of, of your school or well, not really. I mean it was a it was a kind of a Protestant school, so religion wasn't particularly important, I don't think. I mean, that might be a bit controversial, but um no, no, it was no, because it wasn't we have the assemblies and we did all that, but you know, it was very relaxed. It was a very relaxed view of religion, and my family certainly wasn't religious. So <laughs> um and, and do you remember any early kind of going to see anything? What's the early memories of seeing? Yeah, uh, I can't not really. I, the ones so we used to go and see farces and things like that, and I remember really laughing a lot. And but the, I saw a thing called when I was about maybe 12, Conduct Unbecoming, which oh. had uh, Donald Sinden in, I think. So I wow. think it was like, and it was kind of it's a very good film. Uh, which the, which theatre was this? It was a Billingham Forum. Yeah. Wow. So we kind of uh, and went there, and it was kind of incredibly dramatic and very British and just beautifully done. It was like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd like it now, but I've seen the film and it, it's really kind of resonates like Days of the Raj and all the kind of mystery around it and all the kind of, all that, the very red uniform and the kind of the saris and all the kind of weird. Yeah. So, but really very, that, there's a bit where I don't want to spoil it for you, but the, the guy takes his life <laughs> at the end. It's just beautiful. It's just proper theater where the lights go down. There's a gunshot and literally the audience just didn't clap for about 30 seconds of just recovering from this very British thing. And so now I remember I got a wow. very taste. For and then I, I suppose you must have uh, in, re-encountered Donald Sinden in the classic sitcom Never the Twain. Yeah, well, I, suppose, I, didn't, I didn't really watch that very much. As much. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the, I don't know how they got away with those performances. Very no, fruity, no, you yeah. couldn't get away with it. You certainly couldn't get away with it now for good reason. Hmm. Anyway, so what was the kind of... If it wasn't so much seeing stuff, was where did the interest in theatre come from? Oh, it definitely came from um, this guy Andy Murray who uh, when I went to senior school um, he he was a new English teacher so and he was doing Midsummer Night's Dream and just kind of everyone was bored and he was just trying to shake it up a bit and he was like I remember there was one bit we read um, with the bit where uh, Puck falls on his bum we were like amazed we said can you have bum in Shakespeare we had a big debate about saying bum in Shakespeare because we all thought it was thou and that and this and you know therefore all the, all the kind of cliched views that kids have and then there's a bit where, uh, obviously, in the you know you played it yourself, uh, where Bottom has the death scene in Pyramus and Thisbe, and um, he said, "Just go for it." It's just to say die several times. Go for it. And I was quite a shy kid; I didn't really know, and so I just went and I banged my head in the desk like a bit like Joe Pesci or something, <laughs> <laughs> and just scraped against the wall and write die, wrote die lots, and everyone was just like laughing, but also just stunned. And he went, "You should. I'm starting this youth theatre." And so I just joined, and then that's the kind of the, every summer. Uh, we well, we did a school production every sort of like in the summer, and when we then we did a youth theatre, and it was always like I usually got girlfriend and made mates, and it was very different. It was that kind of because I was quite sporty. I was quite I was into the football, but it just took me away from that just pure sporty lads thing. And there's lots of girls there, and lots of you know, yeah, just a different bunch of people who were like really creative. We used to write our own plays and. 
devise very early on. We wouldn't do play about. We told the we told the directors we wouldn't do play about madness and about mental mental illness. Didn't know anything about it. We did a play about the Craig and Bentley case, you know, oh, very yes. early you know, miscarriage of justice. So, um, all in supposed to be in, set in Croydon, but was, we set it in Middlesbrough, I think. So it's all kind of a bit inaccurate. <laughs> and also, we kind of sentimentalised it hugely. I think the, the director kind of just wrote all these sentimental letters, which we he told us existed, and he lied to us, so we were very let down. But I uh, know, no, we was yeah, we did some plays. We did like, oh, what do we? Um, what's that kind of one? Uh, Boot and Bert, oh, about the critics who go and see the play and get involved. Uh, Real Inspector Hound, we did that. So oh, we did a wow. whole variety of stuff. Yeah, really. I mean, wow. I, so I just, so we just had a great time. It was just good, good, good fun getting the bus from Billingham to Harlepool. Am I right that as you went through school, for your A levels, you did quite a mix, isn't? Didn't you do A level maths? Yeah, I did maths, physics, and chemistry. I mean, it was. I think people were trying to desperately put me off a, a life in theatre. Was fair enough because oh. they didn't know. Anything, I have you know, to. But, uh... No, I was just. I wanted to ask one of the first kind of thoughts around regrets. Do you regret not pursuing a career in science? <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. I think. I mean, I don't know. I might have been a pharmacist. I might have been kind of doling out. <laughs> Kind of parasite. I don't know what um, all these kind of dioxymethazone things that you give out. Um, no, I don't. I guess my sister. That's what my sister did, and so because I was a bit, a little bit cleverer than her, so they just assumed I'd gone and be a pharmacist, and and I think it was fair enough, really. But I just, I, I didn't really apply myself to my. I didn't go very often to school, uh, to college, sixth form. <laughs> and so, which is not, not like me, I was very, I was, I was, you know, I was very good at school, but sixth form, I just I felt like, well, it's just the same. I just was really disappointed that it was so similar and that there was, I thought it'd be more parties and more kind of, you know, and I, I remember I never used to go on a Thursday to physics because I'd been out in a club, to a, a club on the, on the Wednesday night, Peppermint Park, which had a half rockabilly, half, kind of an independent night and so there was lots of oh. like you'd have the smiths and then you'd have some bit of rockabilly rebel song and we'd all dance to each other's and everyone was dressed up and there's a bit where the bouncers would come and sing an elvis song and that was the kind of night and so i was just hung over so i didn't go on i just told my mind i had free lessons on a thursday morning and didn't go so on so peppermint all. park was Pe the yeah was the place to be midweek <laughs> what's the place the, ind <laughs> the only independent <laughs> night in stockton which is just stockton of stockton course yes. Um, so when did you think, oh, okay, I'm going to try and go for it. I'm going to try and be an actor. I'm going to try and study drama. How yeah, did that happen? I suppose it was encouraged through my, just kept doing youth theatre. I kind of came and I sort of assistant directed something, um, of, uh, at one point, And then he just said, what are you applying for? And I just applied to Manchester and was just didn't get in. It was so far from getting in at Manchester and I came to Middlesex and, was just so late. I got. I, I thought I didn't want to get on the tube. The tube terrified me. I thought I can't get on the tube. I'll get a bus. I know buses, so I got a bus from Victoria to Golders Green, which took hours, and I was late. And I remember the, the librarian calming me down and me doing this audition and um, the making me. What do did you do for your What did you do for auditions? I did. Oh, what did I do for my auditions? I did a bit from the Long and the Short and the Tall by Willis Hall. Yeah. There's a bit of a guy from actually from Darlington or Middlesbrough, someone who does a speech. So that's kind of quite easy. And um, I did a yeah. You had a choice of what to do, but they kept making me do improvisations where I was quite a posh gentleman. And I sort of realised that because my friend Nikki Boyce who did it, she they kept making her be a trap. She's very posh, and so they obviously go for you. Can you do anything else apart from the 
like this broad northern thing and so and yeah and, and then I sort of was worried about essays I didn't really because I just done science I thought I can't and so they made me write an essay about a, um a, yeah a poem called The Crow and so I wrote this essay and it was like a very weird a very odd day and then I got back on the the, the National Express and just and then I got a letter saying I was in so it was just I mean I was the only place I got into so I was just lucky and I needed something like two E's to get in there and I got a D and an E luckily I did my you, you surpassed the yeah I got yeah qualification. and a lot of people who did much better than me it didn't get into where they wanted to but I was I meant I could celebrate so well it's funny of, isn't it because we have lots in common one of which I think is that we were kind of both the members of our family that kind of went away from home yeah, yeah. in my case Birmingham and I I remember of course following you the year later into Middlesex and um 86. of course you know I, I maybe I was a little bit bolder on the tube mm. um, but um <laughs> but I, I think I shared the same nervousness and I remember I was thinking about this this morning your year group when I first turned up and and I can see my memory of you looking quite like a kind of funny you mentioned Craig and Bentley, like a kind of mix of something quite period, almost quite 1950s, mm. but with a kind of Bowie-esque, Smith-esque mm. yeah, kind of vibe yeah. going on. It was, yeah, uh, it's quite a few goths. Was that conscious, like, that style that you'd fashion? I can't think so. I just used to wear a Mac all the time and people were, people were quite trendy and people were quite excited, like Tony Davis would often dress up for dinner and bring in a glass of wine and for his lunch he'd have with his cheese toasty he'd have a kind of glass of wine and a little <laughs> and so there was a there was a um, um there's quite an eccentric year out a lot I think we were quite I think you 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 a lot were a bit more uh, well I don't know you had a few eccentricities didn't you but um I think you do, uh, those kind of courses do attract a sort of an eccentric bunch of people I I, I probably was one of them as well because like, I was sort of trying to define myself really because I was like so reliant on my family and friends who were like bubbly and and had lots of energy and would talk lots and I was a good listener everyone would say I was a good listener but then you can't just go and listen can you, you just so you I just had to kind of step out and it was a bit of a professional northerner and uh but I kind of I just you know mourned about how expensive everything was but I kind of I just I just I just because I put myself out there you make friends really quickly it's quite it's quite defining I think you just it's you're just thrown in and those early memories you just they stick with you don't you and they're just great yeah no for sure and mm. I think I didn't realize quite I thought you know you have an idea of what drama school thing is and then suddenly all being thrown in you know not your year and our year in that one little space in, yeah. in Hampstead and and then I suppose you know, meeting you and going to the pub and, and feeling a connection and everything. But then I suppose also the big link for me with you uh, and a big figure for all of us, not all of us, but those people who were into it was obviously John, John Wright's work. And, and you had obviously gone the year before us yeah. with John and you were, I remember you telling us about him and a vivid memory of mine was us as first years watching your, second year production with John where you said oh we're doing this clown show and I remember me and Hayley I didn't have any idea what clown was I thought what do you mean yeah. what the circus yeah. and you'd go no 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 it's not like the circus it's not like big feet and everything and then you put this wedding on this clown wedding in that little theatre at Ivy House and I remember coming in and John was sitting in the auditorium with that massive drum that he would hit you know three times on the third time you were out and mm. And I just remember you being absolutely hysterical, you know, leaping around the stage as a gazelle. Yeah. And 
I suppose my what I'm getting to is what what how would you describe John's influence on you as a performer? Oh yeah, I mean I, I, I wouldn't I mean like we all say you know you I wouldn't be here because right? he he just because I was I was really into plays I wanted to go and do plays and you know and uh, read plays and I was kind of obsessed by it and then he just said said make something up and I was like going and that's the thing about you know it's, it's oh, the joy of just of doing something and then everyone people laughing and then going oh I've, I've got this I've got them um and then then him provoking you further and then making it harder for you and you felt like you were on I don't, I don't know I consciously felt like I was on a journey but I definitely it was something that connected and uh, you know and quite there's a few of us in our year who really liked it and some people were terrified but I was never I was sort of a, a bit frightened but in just that great way like just before you go on stage that nervous energy it just can which I didn't really feel for some of the other classes I was a bit like it seemed a bit mundane doing voice and things it felt very technical uh, but this was like discovering stuff and I thought and it was all it was all new I just never heard of it you know I was, I was like I'd seen one company when I was 16 called Teatro Blick this Polish company which was at Stockton at the Ark which is uh, we was at the Dove called the Ark now and um, and they were doing the similar thing and I was I suddenly went this is what they were doing I suddenly get it big bold visual images clowning directly at the audience like they were flirting with you and I just remember that that's that's something I, I really like that and that kind of boldness and that kind of it just sounds yeah just like I say joyful that kind of thing when things connect together and also but that kind of and then the next day it just absolutely falling on its ass and just kind of going <laughs> I haven't got any idea what I'm doing here because it's just it's but just, I suppose if I think back to that time and watching you in that show for John and with your friends and stuff and then it it just felt and it's always felt this when I look at you from a clown point of view it felt as you say it, you can fall on your ass one moment and, yeah. and fly the next but it always felt that it was something natural for, to you do you know what I mean yeah. I know that's Maybe overused sometimes. Is a natural plan, but it did feel natural, right? From that, is that how it felt to you or not? I, I think so. I mean, I didn't. It wasn't like a, I. I just thought about it a lot. It just seemed natural to kind of work at it. So it's that. I, I suppose that's how I'd kind of qualify it a bit, because it wasn't. I, I didn't just go on and be funny. It wasn't like that at all. I had to kind of think about it and be. A, I got a bit obsessed by it. I really did. We well, a few of us did, but I kind of. I really did. And would kind of like the thing about having a packet of crisps in my down my underpants. I'd just have them ready there and very rarely use them. But no, <laughs> at some point I could just go crunch and get a, like a laugh. It, it was like a little rescue device. Remember John said rescue device at one point. Just you'd have something <laughs> up your sleeve just to kind of change the rhythm. And so I kind of people couldn't believe it. I said, oh, what, did you just put them in today? And I was like, no, I've had them in the last three weeks, you know, and so <laughs> just in case. <laughs> I know. I'm now thinking of obviously very illustrious performers like Simon Russell Beale and people yeah. like this, what their rescue device would be. But I don't know why it's gone there. But I do have, I think it's yeah. brilliant that you had the crisps in your underpants yeah. for some time. Yeah, just and, uh, and like put uh, them in surreptitiously, just in case. I had the idea. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to have it. I've got something. And then I just had like a series of successes. So you kind of don't want, you, you, you don't have to go. Don't to need it. your rescue Don't need it, don't need it. I'm, I'm I mean, don't go to your rescue advice when you don't use it. No, no, that was, uh, again, if it, as a natural thing, some things you instinctively understand. I know some yeah, people would go exactly. straight. You don't straight. need teaching really about <laughs> that, do you? Um, <laughs> anyway, obviously you and I and, and a whole bunch of brilliant 
friends came together in that time, you know, Lizzie and Hayley and uh, Mick, of course, in your yard, and we hung out and we ended up sharing houses and all that stuff. And then, of course, you left and then we, I then left. And that feeling, I was thinking back to this when I went to work at that pub in Kentish Town and you used to come round there and we'd all hang out there desperately trying to get a profit share mm. show somewhere. No, because I was in um, Vagabond Bags around the corner with you. Yes, you were. You worked at the bag shop with Pat. <sighs> with, with, with Pat. Pat. And she'd, she'd come and have four pints on a lunchtime. And take and not four just cans. four pints. Not just four no, pints, but strong, strong lager. Strong lager. Four pints of strong lager at lunchtime. And then, and then take cans back. Yeah, four right? cans back. She's up four in the afternoon. And um, yeah, I'd come and have a pint. But you always shows. spoke quite... You, my memory is you always spoke quite kindly of Pat. That she no, no, she was, she was, she, she looked after me really because uh, she, I, she recognised I was. Because some people turn up and were late, you know, one of those things. I was, I wasn't lazy. I just got on with it, and I was tall, so I could reach things, and so I was useful. So, and you know, I just, you just have to get on with those things. And there was lots of like Spanish people and different people, all kind of a, a, a broad variety of people. We just kind of said it's it's much better if you do the work and then you get on with it and then everyone's happy and you just realize that and when she was barred from having a four cans of lager in the afternoon <laughs> we all went you can't we had to, we had to kind of go obviously we're not going to strike but it seems like she's doing all right you know she that's I quite she like does. the fact that you all got you and yeah. this got behind pat and after a four pints in the pub she was being victimized for the four because no, i said she only ever has a pint in the pub and she went she was looking at me like, oh, yeah, good, good one. Yeah, let's go with this. <laughs> and so... And I imagine the cans would probably be strong, like Kestrel or something. Oh, yeah, like that, it, it was it was like, oh, that's that Skull Extra or that kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah it wouldn't be the Carling. No, anyway, that's enough of Pat. Yeah. Um, but um, and that era, of course, when we were all trying to get going and then very uh, fortunately, after a couple of years, I managed to get a break with... Uh, with Trestle and yeah. my memory again brilliantly supported by John John said oh they were doing some auditions because Trestle those listeners who don't know were a, a wonderful British theater, mask theatre company that John co-founded but in typical John fashion he said oh they're doing the auditions go along go along I'll, I'll recommend you and when I got there of course he hadn't he'd forgotten to mention it so no one knew I was turning off <laughs> but of course you followed into Trestle shortly after me mm. and, and um it, it's easy to think of you know that was a big time of lots and lots of touring but i remember looking back as a performer it was on reflection it was brilliant to work in mask at the start of sort of think starting out in acting what, what do you yeah, think yeah i think it was a good training and also it's a good it's good to know that kind of you get a practical doing a show after show working out how to kind of travel how to get on with people how to then get ready warm up for the show do the show consistently and then, and also kind of trying to have a bit of fun with it because it does get a bit, it can, once you've, I mean, I, for me personally, it took me a while to learn the show because it's so complicated. But once you've got the show, you could easily drift into this is, but luckily I was with people who were always kind of interested and in, were trying to change things and saying, can we work on the timing of this? And uh, I was always really up for that. I was like going, oh, are we allowed to do this? And they'd kind of come in and even the direct Sally would come in and go, let's time that a bit better. And so it was, it felt like it, it was just good, good practice really. And for all the kind of, you know, um, the, the, the fact that the, the history, they, they did some really great shows and that were they really did. popular. It was really popular. Yeah. That was good. I mean, I really liked the fact that you'd go to Dublin and people couldn't believe it was a, a, like a piece of theatre with no words in. 
where they understood everything, they laughed at everything and they got it. And because uh, it's such a, a literary culture and, you know, um, and then you could go to top of Scotland. You, I just went, you know, I went all around Holland and so you, got, you get to see a bit. And so yeah, I agree. Yeah. And also that that thing as an actor, I think it, everybody in a way would benefit from a period of time when you're not speaking on mm. stage. I think that discipline of having to work without yeah. language, I, I, I think was even now, 30 odd years later, making the Charlie Chaplin Stan Laurel show, I found myself, even though we weren't working in masks, I found myself remembering certain yeah, things from the Trestle. Internal monologue things. Yeah, no, I think yeah. it's it's useful because there always there will be a bit where you, you haven't got anything to do on scene. You see people because they haven't got any text, they switch off a bit. And um and I'm obviously I'm I love I like a bit of text. So I, I I was desperate to speak and pull faces and get that mask off and stop being so because it becomes a bit of a claustrophobic thing and I even did something uh just last summer as part of Worthing Theatre Trail is a little theatre thing and I did some mask things with, with our friend Abigail and I said I'll, I'll I'll go on for a bit I'll get get me up and you provoke it and I hated it so much it brought back such the reason why I went I don't want to do this anymore I want to kind of I want to be able to kind of be it's a, it's a bit of a I think it's a bit of a safety device in some ways, but also it's and it releases you to a certain degree, and then some points it kind of doesn't, and you kind of yeah, go. Yeah, I think I, I think this. also that 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 sense of anything for too long in, yeah. in theatre terms, you need, and I, I certainly and this partly I think was behind the the very beginnings of Tolbo India, and, and as you know, that our year at college with John, you did clown and we did comedia, and oh, yeah. I didn't know what comedia was, but it was the single biggest influence i think on the way i look at performing yeah. writing making and i think that energy of commander has always been at the heart of of told by an idiot and and i remember i was thinking about all the brilliant shows you've done for us over the years and um and i and that first one when you came into i weep at my piano yeah um and i remember we'd done it originally at the lorca festival yeah with Newcastle, darren yeah uh, darren and then darren i think was having thoughts about show business in general so we uh, we had to recast for the tour in london and uh, hayley and i thought well steve's kind of perfect and i think it was also that sense of i don't think we'd worked together properly we'd done some sketch things like Darley and lorca and and we'd done we'd done a street show of course yeah. in portobello market with joey um uh but i uh, it just felt such a perfect fit when you joined us it just felt like well this is the, exactly the type of performer as we started to bring different performers in. Um, no, and then it's of great. Course you then... Yeah, it's great to meet like Dickie and Naomi and um, uh, Ian. Yeah, Ian is yeah, kind of the, with the music, which is not my forte. Him, um, you know, I spoke about it again just last year about him when he first met me, and he was like going, "You couldn't do anything. You couldn't clap in time. You couldn't do." <laughs> Desperately trying to think each night I go home scratching my head. Why is this guy in here? And then some, <laughs> and you kind of and then the, the other stuff was you know now it's a, yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah, I also Ian like Hayley. that. I like Ian's honesty of literally going, Well, you can't do anything. What are <laughs> can't clap to keep a beat. Um but um yeah, no, so it was kind of yeah, no, so what yeah, it's that kind of challenge, isn't it? No, I I felt like I'm not, I'm not screaming with the order because I wasn't sure if we did. Um, um, what was the oh, first? No, your, 
You're uh, absolutely right. Uh, that wasn't the first. I've got my own order wrong. No, you you joined first for Don't Laugh, It's My don't Life. Laugh. Yeah, course. yeah. So we did that where we did all the R&D and Bridport and uh, all the kind of stuff. We and did your around. eldest son was born? Yeah, was he? In the, yeah, he was. During the January of course, of course, of course, of course, it was ridiculous because we did because we we particularly we chose because he was uh, breach. We went for a, a cesarean, a selective cesarean, so we could have it on the Monday night. Cause I think we got Monday nights off. That's right. And so That's it meant right. I could. Uh, I remember on the Sunday, you believing you and Haley and yeah, uh, Leah and all those people, yeah. Rick Katz, and I think Jane Gurney had come to see the show, and you're all kind of. To add a little half a Guinness, it's the only drink she had yeah. over that because just it was happening the next day, and we knew we'd also, be I think parents. That, yeah, and that also I think of of a crowd of us. You were the first to become. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Don't so think I think are. for all of us, was... I think Richard Katz was the same time with with Martha, wasn't he? Yeah. Similar. Oh, yes. Yeah. April first, yeah. actually. So she, they were pregnant at the same time. Yeah. So that's right. But I remember, of course, on that Monday, then you'd been to the hospital and coming to see you, and and, we, and I, it was a, that was an extraordinary thing that oh, yeah. suddenly one of our gang was, and I remember at that time thinking, God, I'm never going to do that. Yeah, but, no. uh, obviously I did. That's another story. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you went on to be a, such a regular idiot and such a brilliant part of mm. so many companies, and I, th- I think about so many memories, but one in particular, a show that, and actually, it, it, there's a photo on the wall behind me that you might. I don't know. Yeah, you can see it. Now I've got you it and Haley. Upstairs. It's you and Haley in one of my favourite idiot shows of all time, which was I'm Afford to Want Me, which is when we met the brilliant jazz pianist Zoe Rahman. Yeah. And it was a show that was very close to my heart because it, on one level it was about jazz. And I'll talk about jazz and you and me and jazz in a minute. But that show was so special. And we managed, as you say, you know, do it in London. And we brilliantly went to, invited to the Theatre Festival of Caracas, Venezuela. Yeah. Where we we worked with a young uh, Wilfredo, a young Venezuelan trumpet player. But I remember uh, the opening night in Caracas, and it was packed, seven hundred seats, an amazing reaction. But of course, it was incredibly hot and altitude and everything. And then I remember being uh, collected by the head of the British Council and various dignitaries from the festival, congratulating me, saying we'd like to congratulate the actors. And I led them backstage, and we're talking. So the first thing they encountered was you in your underpants with your head in a fridge. And, so uh, hot. It's kind of 100 degrees Celsius on stage, so it was really hot. And Haley kind of went, look, put, your, put your head in the fridge. You're going you're gonna to pass out. You're going to have heat well, stroke. Well, luckily, there, was no, there were no crisps inside the underpants. You didn't need no, to align them no, no, in, no, on that particular the, the, show. times were gone, yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've gone on to work with amazing people and, and companies and probable and mm. and the and warhorse and I, I i i have one memory uh of warhorse amongst many but obviously you were there at the very beginning you were there at the national you went into the west end you were there mm. for a long time and saw many casts and played many yeah. parts but i do remember messaging you when i realized that you'd actually been in the show longer than the war itself <laughs> no, that was significant. And I was I was carrying quite a few injuries there. So I had my war wounds, I'd kind of done my, my knee in, I'd kind of, I had, I had to do a, a very careful version of the show because I couldn't run forwards because the pressure on my knee would kind of just put such a lot of strength as this rubberized floor. Amazing set and design, but it was quite tough on the actors. And um, 
but I could run backwards. And that's what I did in the far. There's the head of the horse. I could run backwards because it was a little oh, less yes. strain. Yes. And yeah. so I, they cut me from some of the early puppets, but I just did the kind of puppets that I was necessary for. And I could really go for it. It didn't. And I was, I had some neat, I had some padding and I was also acupuncture and all this kind of stuff to kind of not, I didn't know any painkilling injections, I don't think, but um, it was close to that. And so, uh, I remember I was, I was coming to an end then. I was like thinking, I can't. I've got another one of these in me, so I'll, I'll, that'll be it. I'll just have to retire. Just put me in a bed. And then knackers and also my, my, um, my other war horse memory was when I, 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 it was the Jubilee before the Queen, yeah. the, the, not this one, the yeah, one before, 10 years ago, when she yeah. went down the boat on the river and you were operating one of the horses on yeah. top of the National Theatre. And the bit that made me laugh, you said this as well, but I, you could see it on TV. She was clearly quite bored on this boat <laughs> until until an aide put her arm on her and said, oh, look, mom, there's war horses. <laughs> she looked up and saw the horses and her face cool. lit up. But I think it's that vertical horizontal Did, you, did horizontal the Queen come thing. and see the show? Yeah, yeah, she, she came to see the show, yeah. We didn't see her afterwards and she left a bit early and she sat in the same seat as Barbara Windsor. So that was like, oh. Barbara Windsor was in the weekend after. So it was like, we're like going, that's, you know, they get the yeah. same seat. Qu and they also Queen get, Vic. they'll get escorted yeah. out just for, in, during, I think that we saw her leaving during the curtain call, just so she can leave nice and easy. Because all the others came and they, like Princess Anne came and hung around and told us that uh, very early on said that it was brilliant, but she thought the noises weren't right. And so we were called in the next day to kind of do war, kind of horse noises, isn't it? But it was true, but she was right, yeah. So, you know, she yeah, knows well, the horses. She'd know about that. Yeah, course. and so so we met a few of them. And, and then yeah. another big thing which I wanted to touch on while we chat is our shared love and passion for jazz, which yeah. goes right back to us meeting and me playing you some albums and, yeah. and, and going off when... I was maybe both of us were still at college in various pubs around North London, and and that passion and joy for that for music for jazz yeah, has stayed with us. Yeah, like recorded and live. I think we would listen yeah. to a lot. You had like great jazz. I keep trying to find it. Jazz giants play classic love songs, but there's so many yes, albums called yeah. that. It's got a great version of Love for Sale on it, and um, yeah. uh, and the, and the, the unknown one, session, of unknown course, sessions with a, the brilliant cover of the Ellington with the kind of the uh, grand piano covered in. Uh, uh, brown paper and string yeah. and it's just beautiful I mean it's what I mean it's got me and Joe at our wedding we got um, which we're our best man for uh, we played there's a, a song called In a Sentimental Mood which is a yes, beautiful song yes, which we beautiful. dance to which kind of occasionally yeah. comes on my playlist on my Spotify and it's just mm -hmm. really and I think more, re more recently like obviously the, the joy the other, the other month you, me and yeah. Martin and Sophia going to Love Supreme but I also particularly Loved last year going with you to see Charles Lloyd, the extraordinary saxophonist at the Barbican. That gig in particular stayed with me. Steve, it's been uh, brilliant chatting to you. I, I'm going to end like I do with lots of my guests, right. where I'm going to ask eight quick fire questions okay, which excellent. connect to your life in some way. And uh, you won't have any trouble with this spontaneity, and you won't need your safety relief for this at all. Um, I'm slightly overplaying that now. Um, <laughs> um, so I'll say, you say the first answer that comes into your head. Yeah. Chicken madras or lamb dancer? Lamb dancer. Um, this is about a theatre company we both loved called The Right Size. Moose or Stop Calling Me Vernon? Stop Calling Me Vernon, just. <laughs> Venice or Reykjavik? Oh, ah, that is a hard one, but go Reykjavik. Crime and Punishment or Moby Dick? Crime and Punishment. 
Is that because of the whaling section in Moby Dick? I, I think so. I I, it's, <laughs> I I never finished Moby Dick, so I kind of I always get through the bit where it's the whole bit where they describe all these whales. It goes on for ages. And I kind of go. I never got. I do, I never had the ending. I've seen the film, so I do know it. <laughs> Snooker or pool? Pool, just again. John Hegley or Jeremy Hardy? John Hegley. Young Americans or Life on Mars? Life on Mars. Because we saw it, it was part of the jazz festival. Is she played oh, yes. a version of the lady? Indeed, indeed. Down by Law or Babette's Feast? Oh, that's a very good one. Down by Law. Down by Law. Yeah. I'm actually going to see. Films. I'm going to pictures tonight. I'm going to go and see uh, Wings of Desire. Vin Vendors is on a lot. Wow! So yes, it's come out again. Is it playing at your local? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's great. And um, yeah, oh, and the Paris Texas on next month. Yeah, so. Yeah, we booked tickets this afternoon, so it's me and Joe oh, got a day night. You will have a great time. Mm-hmm. Steve, it's been brilliant chatting Thank to you. you. I just Paul. wanted to finish by saying, you know this, but there are so many people out there sending you and Joe and the boys so much love. And uh, I will see you very soon. Yeah. Well, I'll come down and see you there. Game Please of do, class. yeah. No. Or, or pool. Yeah, no. Do no, you prefer pool? No, no. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I think I'd like a game of snooker with you, but it's always... Quite good to go on to snooker and then finish with a game of pool because it feels a bit yes, easier. Yes, and the pockets look like uh, the pockets there, which is perfect. Um, Steve, take care, mate. Cheers. Enjoy the movie. Thanks, All the best, so. mate. Cheers, Paul. Bye, bye. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please spread the word. <laughs>